Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. We're looking at the women who are found in the genealogy of Jesus Christ found in Matthew chapter 1. Allow me to read Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for the truth of your word today. And Lord, help us to realize that, Lord, it really does not matter what our past may be. Lord, you can use each and every one of us in a unique and special way. Help us, Lord, just be found faithful by living out our faith each and every day. Lord, guide us in our past as we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we began our study on the women in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And last week we dealt with Tamar. Uh, she kind of took her matters into her own hands and kind of forced an issue uh, by dressing up as a harlot and enticing her father-in-law, Judah. And pr- from that, they produced offspring, Perez and Harris. And from that, about Five or six generations later, we pick up with where we are today, and we pick up with this story of Rahab. So unlike Tamar, who for a brief period of time disguised herself as a harlot, Rahab was a professional harlot. Now, how in the world could somebody like that be used to be a part of God's purpose? Well, we're going to find that out as we go through this. But to find that out, you basically need to go back to the uh, book of Joshua. And I'm not going to read directly from it, but if you want to find out this story of Rahab, then look at Joshua chapter 2 and then Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 2 deals with the spies going in and how Rahab treated them and helped them escape and sent them on their way in a way that protected them. Then Joshua chapter 6 is when the city of Jericho falls and... Uh, Joshua sends the spies back in and to find Rahab and her family and to bring them out safely. So if you'd like to read that story, please feel free to go back to Joshua chapter 2 and Joshua chapter 6. But looking at this, let's look at this story of Rahab. So we go back and Joshua has now taken over the leadership of the Israelite people from Moses. Moses, God has taken him up on a hillside and shown him the promised land, but he said, unfortunately, Moses, because of your disobedience, you will not be permitted to enter in. And so Moses dies and Joshua becomes the leader of the Israelites. And they are now permitted by God to enter into the promised land after wandering for 40 years in the wilderness because of their disobedience and uh, lack of faith. So now the very first city that they come to in this promised land is Jericho. Now, I guess Joshua kind of learned the lesson from Moses. Don't send 12 spies out where only two of them come back with the right uh, attitude. Just send the two that had the right attitude. So he only sends two spies into Jericho to view the land. Now, what was the purpose of these spies? 
Well, God had already promised that he was going to give the city into their hands, so it wasn't necessarily, you know, to, to figure out their weaknesses or anything like that. I think that Joshua just simply needed to know the lay of the land, where things would be when the walls came down and when they would enter in. That way they would know the directions that they needed to go into um, securing this city. And so what we find out is that these two spies, they go into the city of Jericho, doesn't go give a lot of details of how they get in undetected, but while they're there, they seem to be detected that the, the man over Jericho comes and tells their spies in the land. Well, these two spies, for whatever reason, find a place of refuge, and it is in the home of Rahab the harlot. Now, why in the world would they choose this particular home to choose as a place of refuge? We really don't know. The scriptures are silent on this. I can speculate and say, well, out of all the people in Jericho, she probably had the scoop on pretty much everything. And she could probably give them a lot of information about the heart of the people and what was going on and anything that they really needed to know. But that's just speculation. What we do know is that when Rahab is confronted that there are spies in the land, she pretty much lies and says, I don't know what you're talking about. But she has hidden them up on her roof uh, and basically uh, some of the wheat and things of that nature that she had stored up there. Then after uh, the men leave, she says, it's time for y'all to get out of here. You know everything you need to know. But I believe that your God is the one true God. I believe that he is more powerful than any God that this people have ever worshipped. And she, even with that <clears throat> seed of faith, believed that God was going to give the city of Jericho over to the Israelites. She had heard that the Israelites had, uh, that the God of the Israelites had parted the, the Red Sea for the Israelites to escape from Egypt. She had heard that. What other God could have that much power? She also knew that the God of the Israelites had given them victory over the Amorites, the two kings of the Amorites. So she says, I know the heartbeat of the people of this city, and they are terrified of you. They know that you have a God that they cannot stand against. They know that you're going to be victorious over them, and they are melting in fear. And so she knew that the Israelites would be victorious. So did she make this deal with them? Did she hide them? Did she help them escape just as a ploy to save her own life, knowing that the rest of the people of Jericho would probably die as a result of the invasion? No. We're going to see that that's not the case. She obviously knew in her heart that there was a God that she needed to worship, and that would be the God of the Israelites. And so she said to them, if I help you escape, if I show you the way, will you, do, will you make a promise with me? Will you promise that you will rescue me and my family when this is all over with? And the spies agree to this. And basically they give her a scarlet rope. They say, tie this in your window, and that way we will know where you are. You know, I guess Jericho's a pretty good-sized town or city. And whoever needs to go and rescue them, that would be the sign that this is the location where Rahab and her family would be. And so she sends them out 
according to the Bible, she lowers them out of her window, which her home is actually built in the exterior walls of the city. And so she lowers them out and tells them where to hide, for how long to hide, so that uh, those who are searching for them will finally give up and then they can return to their people. And so this scarlet rope she ties into her window afterwards and waits for the day for the Israelites to come to conquer. Now we do know that the Israelites did come back. They marched around the city for seven days and on the last day they, they blew the trumpets and everything and all of a sudden the walls of Jericho fell. Well, except for maybe one little portion, the home of Rahab. If all the walls had fallen to the ground, then Rahab and her family would have been crushed. So God took care of Rahab. And Joshua said to the spies, go in and find her and her family and bring her out. And that's exactly what they did. And so Joshua chapter 6, verse 25 says, However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all that she had, Joshua spared. And she has lived in the midst of, the, of Israel to this day. For she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jerusalem, uh, Jericho. I'm sorry. Now, notice one thing. She has lived in the midst of Israel to this day. She assimilated herself into the Israelite culture. And we understand this to a greater degree later on uh, when we come to Matthew chapter 1 verse 5. She has married an Israelite. She has married a Jewish man. His name is Solomon. And so she has basically says, I am now one of you. I believe in your God. Uh, the term is proselyting. That she had become, she no longer followed after her own gods from the gods of the Canaanites and the ones that they worshipped in Jericho. Now she worshipped the one true God, Jehovah God, the God of the Israelites. And so she became one of them and lived in their midst and basically took on their customs and their culture. And we do know that she married uh, an Israelite man. His name was Salmon. And we see that uh, six generations from Tamar, she and Salmon give birth to a man named Boaz. Now, for many of y'all, that name is pretty familiar. As a matter of fact, we're going to be dealing with his name next week. Uh, dealing with he and Ruth. So this harlot somehow finds in Jericho a faith in God. And that little seed of faith gave her a desire to rescue these two men, these spies. And because of her little bit of faith that obviously continued to grow, she becomes a part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, what an honor for somebody who had such a sordid background. You would think, well, that's the end of the story, but it is not the end of the story. We would say, well, it's hard for us to really see the level of faith that Rahab had. It's hard for us to see it because we could easily say, well, she just... She just used that situation to rescue herself and her family. And then, because she no longer had her own people, she just assimilated in with the Jewish people, and she got married, and for some reason, her offspring ended up being a part of the lineage of Jesus. 
It's easy for us to say that, but God knew her heart. God knew her soul. God knew her mind. Rahab is mentioned at least twice more in the New Testament. Now, we get to a place in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is what we call the chapter of faith or the hall of faith. It is a chapter that is, has numerous of the Old Testament and Testament characters who have exercised their faith, lived out their faith, and God honors them by mentioning them in this chapter. Guess who just happens to make the chapter? Rahab. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Notice the first words, by faith. God saw her faith. And it was a great faith. A great enough faith where he chooses to, to inspire the writer of Hebrews to include her in that wonderful list of those who, who exercise their faith, who are models of faith in God. And so we look at this and it speaks of these many who have exercised their faith, who lived out their faith, and it shows that Rahab, this unlikely character, this harlot from Jericho, exercised such a faith that God recognized her for acting out in her faith. So she acted out because she had witnessed enough of the power of Almighty God. She knew that he had parted the Red Sea. She knew that he had given uh, the Israelites victory over the two kings of the Amorites. She knew in her heart that this was the one true God. And so through her, God blessed her, and she married a Hebrew man, and through him, they produced another child, Boaz, who we know as the kinsman redeemer. So she is known for living out her faith. Now, where else might we find Rahab? Well, if you'd like to look, it's over in James chapter 2, verse 25. We've been studying the book of James on our Sunday morning time, and we're just taking a little brief detour as we go through this Christmas season, talking about these women who are found in the lineage of Jesus. But we've already studied this passage. Let me read it. James chapter 2, verse 25. James chapter 2, verse 25. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by faith, when she received messengers and sent them out by another way. Now, notice the word faith again. In the same way was not Rahab. Well, it doesn't mention faith, does it? Well, we're going to see that it does. Okay. You got to go back a verse. Go back to verse 24. Actually, go back a little bit earlier than that. What we see is that in this wonderful passage of Scripture, James, led by the Holy Spirit, mentions two Old Testament characters as examples of living out their faith. The first one, Abraham. You would guess Abraham. I mean, he's the father of the Hebrew people. He's the father of the nation of Israel. He obeyed God by leaving Ur of the Chaldeans and traveling wherever God led him, even though he did not know where he was going. He believed God when God said that out of you will come numerous people, so many people that will 
outnumber the grains of the sand in the sea or the stars in the sky. And he kept believing him. And even in his old age, God finally blessed them with that son, Isaac. Then Abraham, by faith, obeyed God, took Isaac up on the hillside, and was prepared to offer him as a sacrifice. By faith, as an act of obedience, he did this. And then verse 24 says, You see that a man like Abraham is justified by works and not by faith alone. So James only uses two Old Testament characters. The first one, Abraham. Obviously a man of great faith who actually lived out his faith, showed his faith as he took Isaac up on that hillside to, to offer him as a sacrifice. But who might that second person be? Out of all the multitudes, myriads of people in the Old Testament that obviously lived out their faith, who did God inspire James to share? Rahab. Amazing, isn't it? Now, in the same way, Rahab, the harlot, was justified by works. In the same way as Abraham. What a powerful statement. Abraham, the father of all Israel, the man that God chose to begin all this wonderful history. This man who by faith was willing to sacrifice his own son, believing that either God could raise him from the dead or replace him with another son. By faith, Abraham did these things. In the same way, Rahab, the harlot, was justified by faith when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So Rahab proved her faith in what she did. She acted out her faith. She lived out her faith. She showed her faith in action. Now we look at this and we see, okay, what does all this mean? Well, we got to go back to James and realize that James is talking about faith is one thing, but evidence of your faith is another. There are many people who claim that they have faith, but there's no evidence of their faith. And that's what he says in the next verse, verse 26. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. What an honor for Rahab to be listed in the same passage with Abraham. So we look at this passage of scripture found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, a very brief passage. Actually, it, we really only need the first half of it to deal with Rahab. Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Just like last week, God did not have to include Rahab's name. He could just inspired Matthew to say, Solomon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Just like most of the other genealogy that was just male-oriented without including the spouses, without including the women. But God, in Matthew, chose to identify five different women and show how they lived out their faith. And he blessed them by mentioning them, by putting them in this genealogy. So, unlike Tamar, who on a one-time situation disguised herself as a harlot, played the harlot, and fulfilled that role in producing an offspring through Judah, 
Rahab was one, full time. That was her profession. Now, we could probably say, well, you know, Tamar, you know, she just did that out of desperation. She only did it one time. So we can see God kind of overlooking that. And, you know, that one time was kind of that, that reason why we have her in this genealogy. So we can kind of be a little easier on Tamar. How about Rahab? I mean, it was her profession to be a harlot. That's how she made her living. That's how she knew everything. How in the world could God take somebody with that type of a reputation and include her in the genealogy of her fifth son, Jesus? That's what God can do with each and every one of us. Doesn't matter what our past history is. Doesn't matter who we belong to. Doesn't matter who our genealogy is. God can take anyone and use them for his honor and glory. So I shared last week, we could probably all go through our family tree and find a few people or uh, maybe even many people that we might be a little embarrassed about. There may be some murderers or thieves or who knows, adulteresses, prostitutes. Who knows? Why be ashamed? Jesus wasn't ashamed. God the Father was not ashamed. He lists Rahab, a known professional harlot, in the genealogy of his son, Jesus. That means that God wipes away the past and deals with the heart. You know, there's a lot of things in each and every one of our lives that we wish had not happened. There's this wonderful thing that God does when we confess our sins he forgives us of our sins. But the most special thing that he does is he cleanses us of our sins. The Bible says it's as if it never took place. He erases them. It's as if they never happened. That's why when, if Satan came up to God and says, well, you know old Steve Galloway did this in his past, and God would say, I don't remember that. It's been wiped away. It's been forgotten. It's as if it never took place. So Satan, you cannot hold that against it if, number one, it's been forgiven and it's been cleansed. That's what God does. Did Rahab live a perfect life after she married Salmon, became a full-fledged Israelite? I doubt it. Have you lived a perfect life since you became a child of God? I haven't. I don't think it's possible. I think we can resist temptation to sin. I think we can live a more perfect life. I think the Lord continues to tell us to be holy for he is holy. I think that is our challenge each and every day to live according to the will of God in all situations. But there's too many people that are still burdened by the past. They keep thinking, well, so-and-so knows who I used to be. And so they will never give me the time of day. They will never listen to my testimony, my witness. Yes, they will, because you have a powerful testimony. I was once talking to a guy that had a pre-sorted past. And he was sharing his testimony. It was a powerful testimony of how God had truly transformed his life. 
And I said something along the lines, I said, you know, I don't have a testimony like that. He said, Steve, praise the Lord, you don't. He said, I would never want anybody to go back and live the life I used to live so that they could have this testimony. Praise God, you don't have that testimony. But the truth is, we all have sin in our lives. For God, it's not a big sin or a little sin. It's not murder versus a lie. Sin is sin. God forgives it all, puts it in our past, and leaves it there. That's where we need to leave it as well. So it really comes down to overcoming our past by placing our faith in the one true God, the only one that has been able to give us his gift of salvation and eternal life through his son Jesus. Rahab placed her faith in God, and the results were that God blessed her and used her and shown us that he used her in a very powerful way. Not only just bringing from her a child that would be a part of the lineage of Jesus, but also honoring her in the walk of faith found in Hebrews chapter 11 and also in James, showing that in the same type of faith that Abraham had, Rahab also lived out. So the question is, are we living out our faith? That really is a tie-in back to James that we've been studying. Are we truly living out our faith? What does it mean to live out our faith? Well, first of all, do you have faith? What is your faith in? Is it in yourself? Is it in you know, what you're capable of doing, who you are in society? I hope not. It is in whose you are. You are a child of God, and he has paid an incredible price for you. He gave his son Jesus to die on, a cloth, on, on the cross. He purchased us with his blood that was shed there. And because of that, he has shown us his great love. And as a response, we are to surrender our lives to him. We are to say, Lord, you are Lord. You truly are Lord. I can use the word Lord, but not really mean it. But to use the word Lord and mean it means that I surrender my all my entire life to you. That means I want you to be the, the guiding force in everything about me. Whatever I say, whatever I do, wherever I go, I want you to guide me and to use me for your honor, for your glory. Then as I do, I will be living out my faith because my faith is in you and not myself. So as we do acts of obedience, then God honors us. He says, if I was writing another chapter of faith, maybe your name would be in it. If James was writing today, maybe your name would be in it. You know, we're not doing these things for recognition. The greatest recognition is to point to Jesus and say, He is my Lord. He is the reason why I do these things. So, question is, are you walking around with a lot of old baggage that's weighing you down? that's keeping you from living out a true faith in the Lord? Well, if so, look at Rahab. She had a lot of baggage. She could have easily allowed that to have kept her from becoming a child of God and being used by God for His honor, for His glory, for His purpose. Somewhere along the way, she got rid of that baggage. And we need to get rid of our baggage too. We need to confess our sin, receive God's forgiveness and cleansing, and then go on with life. Because when we 
are washed by the blood of Christ. We are new creatures. He's created us for His purpose, with His power, with His Spirit working in and through us. And then He can use us in whatever ways He desires. So in order for us to be like Rahab, first thing we need to do is place our faith in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Then we'll receive His forgiveness and cleansing. And then as we live in obedience, we will be living out our faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today realizing that each and every one of us has baggage. Lord, it's somewhat impossible for us to truly forget what we have done in our past. Lord, thankfully, you not only forgive us, but you cleanse us and you wipe away our past. Lord, it's no longer on account against us. Lord, instead, you have given us a wonderful gift of salvation and eternal life, the present and the future. Lord, we thank you for that. Help us to quit living in our past, quit living with weighted down with the burden of our past sins and lifestyles, but now to be surrendered to you, allowing your Holy Spirit to live through us so that we can live out our faith. Lord, we're not looking for recognition. We don't need our names to be written in your word. We don't need the honor. Instead, Lord, help us just simply serve you as your servants and allow all praise and honor and glory go to you. Lord, guide us as we make decisions today and every day to live out our faith for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.